All right, here we are at the end of our Memorial Day three-pack of podcasts that we've put out. I'm just going to get straight into this. I don't, I don't have any, I'm, I'm all out of things to say to, to intro this podcast. And we saved some heavy hitters for, for the end. I think you guys will really enjoy listening to these two gentlemen chat with Johnny about their experience serving our country so our first guest is Ryan Hendrickson. He's a Special Forces engineer in the U.S. Army. Uh, he transferred over to the Army in 2008 after completing enlistments in both the Navy and the Air Force. Ryan has many military deployments, including Iraq, Afghanistan, and several South Central American countries. Ryan's decorations include the Silver Star, four Bronze Stars, a Purple Heart, and an Army Commendation Medal with Valor. When not abroad, he calls Florida home. Ryan recently authored a book called Tip of the Spear, and in that book, one of the, the many stories that he, that he tells is his, about his recovery from a limb salvage procedure. That, that procedure, or many of those procedures, were performed by Dr. Joe Shu, who is our other guest on this podcast. Dr. Shu is the Vice Chair of Quality for Atrium Health's Musculoskeletal Institute. He's a professor of orthopedic trauma and director of the Limb Lengthening and Deformity Program. He's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and is an honor graduate from the United States Military Academy. Dr. Shu served in the U.S. Army and deployed in 2006 to Baghdad, Iraq. He spent the majority of his military career trying to optimize outcomes for limb reconstruction patients. Much of Dr. Shu's research now involves guiding safe opioid prescribing and true multimodal pain management for clinicians. And so we're really happy to have both these gentlemen on today. It was a great conversation just to get to kind of sit and listen to on the back end. And I really hope you all enjoy this. All right, welcome to a special Owens Recovery Science Memorial Day podcast series. Um, Freaking so stoked to do this one because this one's with with two of two guys that I that I freaking love like brothers. Um, and so when we uh, we're, we're ch- kicking around like let's do something for Memorial Day right off the bat, I was like I got to get Joe Shu and Ryan Hendrickson on here. So um, just just a little. Uh, what we're going to go into here is Joe Shu is a orthopedic surgeon, trauma surgeon. He was my partner in crime um, during during the wars at Brook Army Medical Center. Um, he would fix them, and then I would try and break them. Um, usually, and, and so we also we spend most of our time it seems like in trouble um, with our with our command and our leadership because we wouldn't do our required modules um, or. We were doing interviews with magazines that we shouldn't saying the military needs to give us more money for our projects. And I remember my boss driving to the base at 11 o'clock at night, asking if I'd like to drive to the base at 11 o'clock at night and get my ass chewed out with them for unapproved interviews. And, and of course I blamed it all on Joe. Um, <laughs> and then we're gonna get into to Ryan's story. And part of why I wanted Ryan on too is, you know, not just cause we're friends and his story is badass, but uh, he's got a book out, Tip the Spear. It's, it's, it's a great read. 
Um, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I imagine it's going to be a movie here soon. Wahlberg's going to play you, right? I think, Ryan. <laughs> I was hoping, I mean, my favorite actor is Denzel Washington, but I think there may be an issue there. That's a freaking stretch. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if that one's gonna work, man. But uh, <laughs> and we got a little yeah. delay because I Jesus, love Denzel. Yeah, me too. Jesus, there's a coordinating this was a bitch. You know, I got Kyle who who runs this in the back end out in Los Angeles. Freaking Joe is all the way across the country in North Carolina. And then just to throw a little extra wrinkle, Ryan's like I'm in Afghanistan. Um, and so <laughs> coordinating this. <laughs> Yeah. The, the one thing I never thought I would ask how the world's changed is, hey, Ryan, do you guys have Zoom in Afghanistan? Um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Anyways, Ryan's story um, is, is back in 2010, um, and, it, and it's an amazing tale. Um, get the book. I, I would recommend the Audible version because the guy who's, who's doing the Audible version always calls Joe Shoe Joe Sue, which cracks me up every time. Um, <laughs> little Joe Sue. Um, but yeah, the, the book's amazing. 2010 was a long time ago. It was, it was, we were in war. We were in wars. This was when we weren't fighting our, ourselves and our own country. We were actually fighting a, a common enemy. And, and it was just a different time in America. I looked it up. The number one song in 2010 was TikTok by Keisha. And I have no freaking clue who that is. So anyways, it was a long time ago. So first, I'm gonna, Joe, I'm going to you, man. Give us a little <laughs> of your background, um, where you came from, what you're doing now. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a mixed race kid from uh, southern Louisiana. My uh, dad was a refugee before the term existed uh, from China, and my mom was a former nun. Um, the uh, two of them met at a church social in New York, got married uh, two years after interracial marriage became legal in the United States. And uh, my dad, who's a, who is a big patriot, moved to Louisiana for his PhD because that's where General Cheneau was from. So I ended up grow, I ended up growing up in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which was an interesting place to grow up. Um, also, made me an LSU Tigers fan, so we got to kick the snot out of the Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, first, first shot at Ryan. It did first. happen. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, raised in in the philosophy of lifetime of service, went to West Point. Um, and then uh, became an orthopedic trauma surgeon um, and uh, came back on active duty in 2004, really as the war was really kicking off um, after my deployment uh, to um, Iraq in 2006. I got recruited to come um, to the Institute of Surgical Research and Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio to help stand up uh, research there uh, for uh, orthopedics and combat casualty care. And uh, <clears throat> that's where I met Johnny Owens, who is a physical therapist for Sports Magic, and uh, and said we decided that uh, outcomes for limb salvage patients were unacceptable, and we were going to create the return to run clinical pathway, and uh, and make limb salvage a viable alternative uh, to amputation. And uh, you know, we we uh, we made some people uncomfortable at the beginning, but. Um, due to perseverance and, uh, and success and actually leadership by patients like Ryan, who really pushed us. You know, Ryan came into the program very early on and a, a lot of the special operators really pushed us because they didn't want 
to get back to what we would consider to be normal life. They want to get back to this high level function, which is really unimaginable for those of us who have not served in, uh, in that special operations capacity. And so uh, to a certain extent that I, I would say Ryan and, and, and many people who we can't even name really helped shape what, what became successful and has been carried on to today. I mean, we, we started this thing really 12 years ago. And, uh, and it's still going strong today, long after we're gone. And life was so easy for me. I, I'm just like treating ACLs, the, the sports med guy. And, and Roman Haida, who was the kind of outgoing trauma doc, says, hey, I, there's this new hotshot young guy coming in. Um, I want you to meet him. He wants to talk with you about bringing in his limb salvage patients. And, and I met Joe and he's like, hey, I'm an Ilazarov trained guy or whatever. And I'm like, cool, dude, I have no freaking clue what you're talking about. Um, and then the next thing you know, man, we're, we're deep into um, combat casualty care together. And, and, I, and I'll say it too. Um, we, we had so many of the, the operators come in and they drove the change that, that they pushed us harder than we pushed them and made us understand like the limits of, of where we can go with this. So it was an amazing time working together. And, and now I want to kind of get into your story, Ryan. Give us a little bit of your background. People can read the book um, and get and get everything. So you don't have to you don't have to start from when you're a baby on up, man. But give us your background. What drove you to to get into the military, special operations, and then we're going to roll into what happened on that that fateful day in 20, 2010. Yeah. So uh, I mean, background, man. That's uh, okay. Pretty much, uh, I grew up in a small town, and then. Um, 18 years old, dad told me, you know, get a life, get out of here. So uh, the Navy was the only thing, any only branch of service taking anybody. I, I tried for the Air Force and they basically said, yeah, that's that's really cute, but you're you're a special dumb. So no. <laughs> and at that time, uh, the <laughs> Army didn't need anybody. Very surprising. Um, and the Marine Corps, he, that guy came in and he was just very angry and he scared me. So I was like, oh, I don't want to be a Marine. This guy's really scary. So it was the Navy, the Navy recruiters, you know, talk about, you know, going around the world and exotic women and blah, blah, blah. And 18 year old Ryan's, you got it. So, and apparently I could be a F-14 Tomcat pilot and a Navy SEAL at the same time as an E-1. Um, it, it didn't work out that way, but sounded really good. Got me in, uh, did my time in the Navy, got out for a little while. And then, um, I decided that I wasn't a very good civilian. And so <laughs> I, uh, I joined another branch of the service, which was the Air Force. And so I did five years um, in the Air Force. And uh, there was just this point in my life where I just needed a dramatic change. I needed to shift everything up. Um, I was just kind of, I was just kind of existing. I wasn't really doing anything. And so I saw this poster on the wall and it, had this guy in a uniform and it was half air force dress blues and half class a uniform and said go blue to green so i asked i asked him about it and yeah he's like yep we got a recruiter and talked to the army recruiter and he got me um said hey how about you uh how about you try this special forces deal out and he's like yeah why not what's the worst thing that can happen and so within a couple of weeks i was uh I was in uh, infantry, infantry basic, and was like, "Oh, all right, this is this is good." So three branches of the service, which led up to, um, 
you know, finally um, getting to my home, which was in the army and, um, and becoming a Green Beret. So. so you should just go for Coast Guard next. Just wrap it all up in a bow. Touch on, <laughs> touch on every branch you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think I'm a little too lazy, though, now at, you know, 43. So, yeah. Well, and the story of your journey to, to get into Special Forces is, is very cool. Um, and you, you definitely took a, a different route than a lot of folks did. But kind of if you want to go into a little bit of, of what you what you did um, in, in Spec Ops and also, you know, kind of lead up to your, your injury um, and then we'll go with there. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so get, getting through training, um, I wanted to, I wanted to go demolition, you know, uh, demolitions expert. So that would be an 18 Charlie on an ODA. Um, and that, that kind of fit my personality and whatnot. I'm not saying I'm a real explosive kind of guy, but it worked. So, um, I just, you know, I went through the Charlie course and whatnot like that and, um, graduated, um, got my green beret, immediately assigned to seven special forces. And then um, from there, we started working up immediately for Afghanistan. And so there was really no downtime. It was graduation. You're the new guy. Oh, we're going to Afghanistan. So you better get ready. So we did all the, all the pre-mission training and everything you do um, to get your, your company and then ODA ready to go to war. And so that was, that was about four or five months. And then, then we deployed and um, <laughs> we deployed to this uh, very, very safe area called Hellman province, which um, is not known for bad guys or IEDs or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, no. So the Hellman is uh, during the surge, um, extremely dangerous place. Brand new Green Beret, Ryan Henderson, um, walking, walking on water and um, we get sent to the most kinetic, um, between Aruzgan and Helmand province, most kinetic uh, provinces in Afghanistan at the time during the surge. And, um, and yeah, my, my job on the ODA was, I was all, always in the front and I had a mine detector and myself and my Afghan counterparts who are our counter IED guys, uh, we would we would clear the path for the uh, main assault force or clearance force or whoever uh, that was coming in behind us. So yeah, IEDs, and then oh by the way, don't get shot in the face by a sniper. Oh by the way, if you in ambush, you're probably going to be the first one to eat it. Stuff like that. So there was a lot of there was a lot of stress there, and I'm not saying that my position was any better than anybody else's it's building up to the fact that, you know, here's a, here's a brand new guy fresh out of the Q course. And it's like, Oh, wow. There's a, <laughs> there, it's uh, it, there, there's some scary guys out here that, that want to, that want to shoot me. This is, this is a little different. So, so yeah, that, that kind of, you know, got me, um, that kind of was my first, um, you know, I, I guess, uh, Afghanistan exposure. I mean, I was in country for three days and got my first tick, which is troops in contact. Um, so yeah, we were just in gunfights nonstop, um, constantly dealing with the explosive threat. And then, um, leading all the way up to, uh, we were, 
we were doing a uh, preparation of the environment for a major clearance operation through the Hellman River Chutu Valley. And um, so uh, September 11th, uh, 2010, we, we kick off the operation and my, my ODA, we are, we are tasked to clear from south to north. Then there's ODAs that were infilling in central and then the guys from the north coming down. So it was a, it was a major company um, it was a major company clearance operation and there was suspected, you know, 1500 Taliban fighters in the Valley, you know, all that, all that good stuff. But um, yeah, September 11th, we kicked off and started moving in and then clock ticked past 12 and now it's September 12th. And we move up to our first area. We're going to clear our first cluster of compounds and, and I'll stop there, Johnny, because that's you kind of know where it goes after that. But yeah, man, and and so you know, if people don't know, that was the hot and heavy of everything, and and the surge is going on. We're we're getting crushed um, back at, at Brook Army just with with so many combat casualties coming in. I mean, Joe's probably going twenty four hours a day with surgeries. Uh, the rehab clinics like. Feeling, you know, spilling over. We were using an old freaking library in the hospital <laughs> for, for rehab. We had to take wow. the ceiling tiles out of the, the ceiling because guys would do plyometrics and their arms would go into the ceiling tiles. That's how that's how antiquated, um, you know, pre-CFI uh, where we got to get you guys over to that spot. Um, but yeah, so leading up to this, um, you and you and your interpreter are, are going in to, to basically clear a clear an area and and I, I won't get all in the details because I'll probably muck it up, but basically step on a landmine, right? And so that's probably all you remember. Yeah, so, oh no, I, I remember the entire thing. I wanted to pass out, but I couldn't. And uh, no, I remember, <laughs> I remember every single bit of it. It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny now looking back, but at the time I, you know, I thought I was going to die, but um. No, we were trying to, we had moved up to our first um, cluster of compounds and it's like, all right, so we have our Afghan indigenous force with us. It's like, all right, this is, this is Afghanistan. Let's, uh, let's go do the old fight for your country thing. Go ahead. Let's clear these compounds. And uh, they're like, nope. Well, what, well, what do you mean? No, that's, no, no, no. This is, that's not part of the plan. Like you have to go. <laughs> we, we talked about this, like, no, it's too dangerous you guys have to go first. It's like, well, what do you mean? And they were like, well, you're better fighters than us and you can find IEDs better than us. So you have to go first. Like, man, I'd understand if this is Texas, but this is Afghanistan. So no. So I turned back around and um, um, our interpreter, he had moved down to the first entrance. So when I say compound, I mean like you have large compound mud walls. It kind of looks like a mud wall fortress and then inside you have different huts and whatnot like that um and they've been there for hundreds of years but <clears throat> so he moves down to the first like breach point or entryway and he's trying to wave these guys down now granted it's three o'clock in the morning at the time but the loom was was brighter than we wanted it to be so we needed to get off open ground because the taliban was on icon chatter saying hey we see the americans and we're going to engage them so who i don't know but so he's trying to convince them to go down there by waving and everything and no one's moving. So I, you know, I, I moved down 
it's like in it was about 25 meters from where we were at and I, I grabbed him by the back of his shirt and kind of whispered hey man wrong move and so I pulled him away from the doorway or the breach point and you never want to have any part of your body exposed so I turned back into the breach so at least my weapon system was pointed in the courtyard in case somebody decided they wanted to play and there was a blind spot that I couldn't quite see around. So I stepped in to look at that blind spot and boom. Um, yeah, IED went off. I was like, oh, but it, it, was, it was crazy because um, at first um, I didn't know what happened because uh, your brain, it, it's really weird. You can watch all the movies in the world and everything like that. But when you step on an IED, it, you don't really, it, it's, it's, I wouldn't recommend it, but it, it's different. So, so, you know, and I remember I, I fell back out of the door and I couldn't breathe. And I remember thinking like, man, I'm going to suffocate if I, if I don't get some air because of the dust and ammonia and everything like that. Well, I kept trying to stand up, but I couldn't. And so now I'm getting pissed because I'm still not hurting yet. But, um, and I, I know um, you and uh, Dr. Shee, you guys are probably pretty surprised that I would get upset, but I'm starting to get, you know, pissed off because I can't stand up. First time. And then as the, <laughs> yeah, then as the dust started to clear, I looked down and my boot was at an L shape to my leg. And it still didn't occur to me. And I remember thinking, I was like, what happened to my boot? It wasn't that I stepped on an IED or anything like that. I thought um, our interpreter actually hit the ID. So I'm trying to yell for him and whatnot. And my leg is at an L and I'm like, something doesn't look right, but it still hasn't computed. And then I saw my tib and my fib and I couldn't recognize them because they were so white. You never think bone is that white, but it, it is. And I was like, man, what, what is that? So I lifted my leg up and it kind of, the boot kind of flopped over the side and I was like, oh, and then once I realized um, that, uh, where my, you know, I stepped on an IED, then the pain came in and then it was like, Oh, okay. Here's the pain that everybody talks about. Yeah. This is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This, this does hurt. So, but yeah, that was, uh, is, is crazy ride, but I remember every bit of it because I couldn't pass out and I don't, I, and, and then when I started getting tired, when the team finally got to me, um, they wouldn't let me go to sleep. They kept slapping me and I was like, no, nah, I just want to go to sleep. But and they couldn't give me any more meds because I, <clears throat> I had a reaction to the morphine. I was like, well, this is a hell of a time to figure that one out. <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty much this, just sucking it up. And cause our medic didn't want to give me more, um, you know, like put me on, uh, on the K train or, or anything like that, because I just had a reaction to, um, morphine. And he's like, I'm not trying to stop your heart. He's like, this is going to be hard, but you're going to have to suck it up, dude. So we can get you to Tarrant out. Uh, it's like, oh man. And then he even rode with me because of the reaction I had and everything like that. So when the medevac helicopter came in, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was kind of funny because kept trying to stand up and I'm getting all pissed off, but yeah, it was, yeah, crazy. <laughs> and so you're such an Oregon duck fan <laughs> uh, to a fault. Tell that story about your shirt. Yeah. So our command sergeant major who 
we're still uh, real close, but um, he's from Oregon and he, uh, his sister works at the university of Oregon. <clears throat> and so I've, I've, I've been a Ducks fan my entire life. Every, ever since I went to football camp and, you know, I was asking um, Mike Blotty, you know, I actually got to talk to him. He's yeah, I, I want to be an Oregon duck and play football. And he's like, yeah, you're, uh, you're not what we call good. It's like, oh, okay. So what's my chances? You might want to try the main. You might want to join the military and uh, yeah. So, I mean, they're lost. They missed out, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, so Sergeant Sar- Major Rear and I, we just talk about the ducks all the time. Ducks, 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 ducks. So when I got blown up, um, he had had his sister get a jersey signed um, <clears throat> by in at this point in time, it was Chip Kelly, but he had a jersey signed by the whole team. And uh, we actually went to the national championship game that year, didn't, <clears throat> didn't quite win, but whatever, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I had a jersey signed. He brought it into the hospital and just like, wow, this is, and I still have it up on my wall in my office and, it's yeah along with all my duck gear and duck shirt that I was wearing and because I had my lucky Oregon Ducks t-shirt on when I got blown up and I remember I was trying to fight the nurses because they were trying to cut my clothes off and I I was trying to convince her it was my lucky Oregon Ducks t-shirt and she's like sir 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 how lucky is this shirt look at you and I was like I and then they cut it off. Like, you're an asshole. <laughs> and I guess because they cut his shirt off that when he got to Bamsey, he chose to wear no clothes ever. Yeah. 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 The nurses love me. <laughs> Definitely. So, Joe, so. take us through the process of after someone's injured, like Ryan downrange, and you've been over there kind of what happens, you know, what's the next like levels of care to get them stabilized and then all the way to landing on your table um, at our base. Yeah. With someone as severely injured as Ryan, oftentimes they'll even skip the roll two facility, which is a smaller uh, far forward um, hospital. And they'll actually go to a, a national on three um, because people as badly injured as him, they need blood transfusions and they need to be stabilized pretty quickly. And so sometimes I'll just overfly and go right to a roll three. Um, and then from there, uh, they get medevaced once they're initially stabilized, you know, debrided, X-fix, amputated, whatever needs to occur um, at that level. Then they end up uh, coming back um, through Germany. They go through Longstuhl and then uh, get routed from there to the East Coast and then distributed um, to uh, various centers, depending on their injuries and their point of origin. Um, and so for, for people that are from um, further out um, uh, in, in the central and western United States, a lot of those came to Bamsey, but we were also the burn center. And so people with severe burns um, would come directly to us as well. And so it, uh, it was a little bit uh, regional, your point of origin, where, where you ended up going, unless you were burned, all the burns came. And then when you got Ryan, you want to go into kind of what you thought about his injury mechanism and what, what our decision tree was with this? Yeah, uh, Ryan, Ryan had a severe open tibia fracture, a type 3 open tibia fracture, and the amputation rate for that is about 22%. So uh, more than one in five people that have just the tibia injury, which is the shin bone, 
um, lose lose the leg um, throughout the course of uh, reconstruction. Uh, most common reasons are um, infection uh, and uh, and uh, not healing and poor function. Um, turns out that that was not actually the most significant injury for Ryan. The most significant injury for Ryan is um, his foot. Um, he had an open yeah. open um, calcaneus. Uh, the calcaneus fracture was uh, was not horrible, but he had a blasted midfoot. So he had midfoot instability. But the worst part of it is that um, his heel pad was uh, was blown open and, and damaged. And the heel pad is really, it's the main shock absorber for your foot. And so you can imagine the amount of force that we put through our feet. Um, and the, the structure of the heel pad is fairly complex. Uh, and it's really hard to reconstruct, if not impossible to reconstruct, and, and there's not a, a replacement for it. So the most threatening thing that Ryan faced actually was the foot injury. And uh, because of that, you know, he saw multiple different surgeons and different patients and was counseled, um, you know, towards amputation versus limb salvage. It's really up to him. Um, interestingly, um, over, over the course of the years of the war, um, those types of injuries, especially open heel injuries, open heel degloving,s open calcaneus fractures, um, ha have actually the majority of those end up going on to amputation. So Ryan's one of the few. Yeah, yeah, and he, that just the plantar injury, plantar surface injury alone was a nightmare. Um, once you put it back together, um, just looking at that from the rehab perspective, is you got you got to put weight on this thing, mm -hmm. um, and so. I think what's also interesting and in, in even maybe going into the foot plate um, that, that you and I kind of work together with, you know, you really created to, to weight bear. Can you go into why you use the frame so much? Everyone, you know, saw that Alex Smith piece is kind of like, okay, why did he get hardware in his leg? And then all of a sudden he's in a frame. If you came to the center for the intrepid or, or our, our limb salvage rehab, like everyone was in a frame. Yeah, so the frame was due to the severity of injury from combat injuries. Infection was our overwhelming problem. And so to prevent deep infection, we could stabilize the bone um, with an external device. And so that's really why we, we, we did that. But then as you and I worked closer together, what, what one of the challenges was the comparison other was the amputee, right? And so they could get up and they would be weight bearing, you know, three months, four months down the road. Whereas if you did limb salvage, it would be, you know, six months, a year, year and a half. Um, and so with the frame, you could build it uh, in a way where people could weight bear immediately. And, and, and I think that, you know, uh, Johnny's not, not lying. We actually had a, a conversation in, in, in my office and I basically told him, if you can break it, I can fix it. So just go crazy. Mm -hmm. We'll see, we'll see what can happen. And, uh, you know, and, I'm sure Ryan snapped several struts along the way because these guys just pounded. Yeah. Yeah. And, and lots of times you'll see a frame and, and the foot is, is, is not in the frame itself. And so we even had to kind of fashion this, this X, this frame that actually went down below the foot and, and basically had a machine shop build a, a, a metal sole on the bottom just so that we could pound and jump and Ryan could be doing plyometrics in his frame, even with that devastating, midfoot and, and open calcaneal fracture, um, which, which was really cool. You know, it's a great point, Johnny, because this is really what was cool about um, the way that we work together is that patients like Ryan would say, I need to do this. And we'd have to come up with a solution. 
and you and I would come up with a solution. We, I literally drew it on a paper plate at a Christmas party and handed it to the orthotics tech. And he, mach- he would machine them by hand initially until we got a machinist to do it. Um, and it really set people off where guys like Ryan could run and jump on, on this thing. Uh, you know, another good example is, you know, guys earlier on, you know, their toes were clawing down and things like that. And they were spending all this time dealing with their toe issues and not really doing the high end rehab that needed to be. And, you know, Johnny comes in my office one day, he goes, just pin all their stinking toes, just pin them all. <laughs> yeah. The patients hated it. Yes. Initially. <laughs> but that was the point is that we took that out of the equation and you could focus on the high end stuff and really, and really get back to doing what you needed to do. It was, so you yeah. blame that on Johnny, not on your surgeon. I, I'm like, I'm spending half my day playing with people's toes, trying to straighten them out. Just, just freaking pin them. I, I don't think that happens on the civilian side where you're just like, put up. Um, basically, we put pins and and connected it to the metal frame itself, so their toes are just stay straight. Whenever um, Alex, when we were first going through this and showing him videos and pictures, he's like, "Dude, don't pin my toes like that. Please don't pin my toes. Like, I'll do whatever you need." Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Ryan, do you remember trying to make that decision of salvaging versus amputating and where your mindset was? Yes, I do 100% remember it. And it was, um, I'll never forget Dr. Shu telling me this. Once it's gone, it's gone. If this doesn't work out, we can always cut it off. But you right now have a choice. Once it's gone, you don't have a choice anymore. We haven't figured out how to um, put you know, take a leg that we just sawed off and put it back on. I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys have, but um, yeah, um, that's what made the decision for me was he said, once it's gone, it's gone. And I also remember there was some talk about um, how it will help the limb salvage, um, uh, not study, but um, you know, like it, it'll help the program along because the more, the more guys that are coming in, and, and getting and getting their limbs um, salvaged instead of amputated, um, all, all, all that does is give give people experience for the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. So it was something like that. But the one thing I rem- that I'll remember for the rest of my life is once it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a huge point, too, on, on helping kind of the, the legacy of the program and, and helping your brothers is we, you came at a great time because we had really gotten dialed in on how we're going to just rehab the hell out of combat casualty in frame. We used to call it your in frame phase and your out of frame phase. It was all part of this program we, we, we built called return to run because we called it that because a lot of times, you know, the dudes were, were saying, I want to cut my leg off just because I can't run. So we're like, screw it. We're going to find a way to get these guys back to return to run. <laughs> and then this device that we had worked on, Ryan Blanc, I give him props as well. He was the prosthetist and our other brother in crime um, helped with us to develop this exoskeleton called the IDEO. And, and that made it all of a sudden where you could salvage. We would put this crazy thing on your leg and you could run and jump. And then we even published papers. We could get you back to duty. Um, and so when a guy like Ryan rolls in, busting his ass, special forces, we got a bunch of other special forces guys, it really helped, you know, young specialists coming in or private who's limb salvage and is looking up to you guys and like, yeah, I'm not going to take the easy road. And and I don't want to say that, not the easy road of amputate, but I'm going to give this a shot. 
because, you know, amputation isn't bad and, and we're not ever saying, you know, that you shouldn't make that decision, but to see someone like you go through this was huge for our program. And yeah, um, it was, it, 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 it definitely like, that was definitely the reason why, you know, I decided to go that route. But one of the, one, one of the things that really messes with guys early on and Dr. Shu and I had a conversation about this at a wine bar in Charlotte was the fact that people look at you and like, well, at least you, I mean, how bad could it be? You still have your leg. And that still um, bothers me. So. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. I remember that conversation too. Um, it, it was, uh, mm -hmm. I could tell that that was kind of a pivotal moment for you too. Cause you were done. I think you were down in South America during that time frame, doing a lot of stuff down there. Mm -hmm. um, the, the running thing is super interesting and people used to, kind of question like how on earth are you leading some program that has to do with running because anyone who really knows me knows I absolutely hate to run I ran mm -hmm. twice a year because the army made me you know I I train all kinds of mixed martial arts so that I never have to run <laughs> mm -hmm. all skinny now but we used to call him kung fu panda because he was yeah. a bigger guy he just did MMA so running was the number one thing he was anti except for twice a year when the military made them. That's right. But what happened is the reason why we chose running is it became a surrogate for what people could do in the end. And there's a, there's an element called self-efficacy, which is really critical. And self-efficacy is someone's confidence that they can get back to their life's chief activities. Right. And mm -hmm. so what we had, we had guys like Ryan who were super motivated. So the motivation was high, but their self-efficacy was low because we published the return to duty rates, return to duty rates for his injury was less than 20%. It was about 20% of people would actually go back to duty. So people would say, hey, doc, what are my chances of going back to special ops? It'd be like 20%. I mean, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. And so their self-absolute yeah. confidence was that they could get back to that would be low, but their motivation's high. And so what we did is we built this return to run program to start building the self-efficacy. And one of the things that was key to it was the way Johnny cohorted the patients together, right? And so when Ryan was first going through, there were other guys that were, that were further ahead of him that were doing cool stuff, right? And so it's not just like, hey, Ryan, you got to do this road on your own. When Ryan was partially recovered, I mean, he's doing crazy stuff. He's running around with a frame. I mean, he's swimming with the frame on. He's doing all, and the other guys that are fresh, Fresh off the airplane, two weeks out from surgery, they look at a guy like Ryan, they're like, well, you know what, I can do it too. And so each soldier, each wounded warrior built the other self-efficacy and they dragged each other along. And honestly, for me, it was awesome because we were just on the sidelines watching it all happen just by putting you all together. Yeah. And I had to teach Joe the term self-efficacy because as an orthopedic surgeon, he'd never heard that term in his life. And so... <laughs> I think the OTs taught it to me <laughs> that I had to just push it on, on up you know, through the chain. So, yeah. And yeah. so Ryan um, rolls in impulsive as hell, you know, like a bull in a China shop. His dad's with him the first day. His dad's a cool dude, like hardcore, just like farmer type guy. And Ryan's like in his hospital gown. He wanted to come see the center. You know, that's typically kind of how it, it went. Or I would go over to the hospital and see them and kind of explain. And the dude, the first day in his freaking hospital gown, I don't even know if you remember this, Ryan, you like had to do bench press. <laughs> <laughs> I 
least he was wearing a gown. It's, it'd be the only time I saw him wear a gown. <laughs> I'm, I'm busy as hell. And I'm like, are you serious, dude? Like, no. I mean, we're going to do a lot of stuff. but And he's just like, well, not let it go. And so I, I, do you remember Joe, Ryan, big Joe, the big black dude, my, my assistant? Um, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our boy Strong from Arkansas. Anyways, I'm like, hey, Joe, okay, rack it up. Let's, let's get on. You know, I, I forgot what I put on there, but a decent amount of weight that I was pretty sure you weren't going to be able to, to, to do just because you were so gooped out. And you, you, <laughs> you go, and Joe's spotting you, and it comes down, and, and you, you're stuck with it. And you're flailing around, your legs kick in with the frame, like, get it off me, get it off me. Your dad's laughing. <laughs> and finally, I let Joe pull it off of you. And I said, dude, from now on, just follow what we say and do the program. You know, get rid yeah. of it. Like, I got to get my soul on, my yoke on. And, and after that, um, <laughs> I never had to deal with you. You need to do freaking bicep curls or bench press. Uh, we got the yeah. everything else. So anyways, um, looking at your injury, I was really, really nervous. You know, I, I know like Joe's a magician and, it, and I, I'm just going to put a plug in for Joe. I mean, he's probably the best trauma surgeon um, out there. And if yeah. anyone has big, bad trauma, I'm like, if you can get out to North Carolina and atrium, because if, if something bad happened to me or my family members, I'm, I'm finding a way to, to get out there. So I knew, you know, he gets the, he gets the bone and everything to heal, but, but that foot was, was freaking scary. And anytime you got a midfoot or a calc, um, man, it's, it's just really tough. And so, Ryan, I knew your number one goal was to, to stay on. You, you'd come so far and you were wanting to get back to Special Forces. So, um, mm -hmm. kudos to you. You bought into the program and just busted your ass. So, you know, in, if for anyone to know how our program worked, I mean, we, we had a land of milk and honey. So, you would come in in the morning and you would rehab, go get lunch, and then you'd come back in the afternoon and go again. And then you were in it with just tons of other guys and girls who were doing the same thing. And, and basically, like Joe said, if, if you skipped out or didn't show up for some reason, you didn't hear from me. You heard from the rest of the group. Where the hell are you right now? And so yeah. frame, frame, frame. I, I don't remember, Joe. Do you remember how long Ryan was in frame or Ryan? It's a long run. Uh, I, I, have, I have pictures of when it came off because my leg was all bandaged up. And then where the rods went into my bones, there was just these little blood spots on the bandage, which I thought looked pretty cool. Um, but I'm uh, – I don't, I don't quite remember. I just, yeah, I, I, I don't quite remember. So anyways, when you're in the frame, it's like, it's on everything. Like, like, like Joe said, I mean, you want to go scuba diving in it? Cool. Let's do it. You want to go out and play paintball? Let's do it. And we're doing plyometrics. We're working on running anything to weight bear and pound it. And also to build strength. I mean, this is also where we started, you know, this is blood flow restriction podcast. We're not going to talk about it. That's where we really started looking at blood flow restriction for these type of like injuries mm -hmm. that couldn't handle load sometimes. And so then the frame comes off and then it's like, everything stops for a little bit and you get a little bit nervous because the bones fresh like a baby bone and, and we go real easy. And Joe and I talk every day and we're progressing and watching, you know, is the bone looking like it's going varus or, you know, where's the pain that he's having now and oh shit. Okay. It looks like we maybe still have a little bit of area that's, that's not healed. Um, and then we progress through that. And then we get into the IDEO phase and, and go online if you haven't seen it, Intrepid Dynamic Exoskeletal Orthosis. Um, lots of cool videos and stories where we put this thing on you and it's, and it's like a prosthetic that allows you to keep your leg and run and jump and all of that. So then we finally got through everything and we're like, 
this dude's solid. I, I think he's ready. He, he's ready to, to get back into the fight. And we can only test you so much at the center. We had a lot of cool things to test you, but we're not able to say, okay, let's, let's, let's see what you'd be like in Afghanistan. But like every Friday we would go do something like go hike the one mountain we have in central Texas. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, but you know, a lot of guys who come back from Afghanistan, they're like, dude, I never like was walking sideways on a slope. Um, you guys need to train us in, in different kind of environments in rock where I slide around and I'm, I've got this thing wrapped around my leg. So we would go do that or, or go do paintball or, you know, even we would have outings where we'd have guys go jump out of airplanes. Um, so we would test you as much as we could. And then we're like, he's golden. And then, so take us then Ryan to what you ran into getting back and like, Hey dude, I'm back. You guys, y'all ready for me? Hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> Uh, pro probably not the probably not the smartest move I made, but um, when I went back to group, um, we were we were working up again to go back to Afghanistan. Um, I got back uh, November 2011, and we were already sending guys um, as part of the advon to Afghanistan in January 2012. So um, I ended up <clears throat> they I was uh, I was non deployable. Um, you know, uh, I barely, barely was able to stay on active duty, um, got the waiver, but you know, it's dead man's profile basically. And so I go through the Thor three program where, you know, I basically gain, or I, I get them to, to write off like, yeah, you're, you're, you're good to deploy in our book. And so then with most of the unit gone, <laughs> the guy that was filling in for the battalion surgeon, I was like, Hey, sir, can you sign this? And he did. And basically it was signing that I was good to deploy. So I get on the next C-17 that's heading to Afghanistan and show up. And the company Sergeant Major was like, um, what are you doing here? So, yeah, funny story. Uh, there was a plane flying here and I just got on it. So um, Sergeant Major Reary was in Afghanistan at the time and he made me a promise in the hospital that if I could get um, if I could get cleared, um, get rehabbed and cleared through the Thor three, which basically if they say you're fit for um, deployment, then you, you are, it's, um, it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's a, it's a pretty arduous, um, physical training program. But, um, and so Sergeant Major Reary comes out and he's like, Hey, you made it back. Congratulations. You are going to the most IED area in Afghanistan, Panjway district, Kandahar province. I was like, Oh, well, what, you know, what about that job where you just kind of, you get all the kudos for being in Afghanistan, but you don't really have to do anything. He's like, oh, no. you're going, you're going back out. And at the point in time we had um, the company had lost like four Charlies to IED strikes. And it's like, okay, wow, this is, this is uh you know, kind of, this is the real deal. So I get back out to the team and I'm like, yeah, how, how bad can it be? Whatever. And um, I show up and they were not, <laughs> they were not impressed. And so I remember showing up and one of the guys came out and he's like, look, dude, um, glad you're alive. Uh, glad, uh, you know, glad you did all the rehab and everything like that. Congratulations. Um, this is the most kinetic area in Afghanistan. And this is not a Make-A-Wish Foundation ODA or Green Beret <laughs> you know, the club, like you have no business being here. Um, 
I was I was one hundred percent against you being out here, but Sergeant Major Reary said you will come out here, so you're here. If you put any of my guys' lives at risk because you can't handle something, you're out of here. And uh, so I started day one. I was like, oh man, I gotta <laughs> gotta reprove myself all over again. And it was it was tough. I mean, 2012 may have been a little premature to deploy back to Afghanistan after um, after uh, little routine surgery I had on my right leg, but, um, I decided to do it. And in the end, um, the team, they, they all said, well, so not totally towards the end, uh, we, but the team warm up, I'm finding IEDs, um, things are, <clears throat> I'm holding my weight. Okay. Now I'm an asset to a team. I'm not a liability. Good. Charlie, Mike, but, um, the problem was the skin graft on the bottom of my foot and the skin grafts on my legs. So I have one going over where my uh, fib is and one going over where my tib is. <clears throat> well, the ideal brace is amazing, but in the summertime in Panjway, Southern Afghanistan, having a neoprene sock on with the brace, um, um, I, I found out firsthand are not meant to um, endure that that kind of I guess you know humidity and whatnot. So I started um, chafing really bad, and then I was getting these cherries rubbed into my skin grafts, where they, it, the skin graft would just open up, and the bottom of my foot um, was basically just this open. Um, I, I don't even know what to call it, but it was all just meat on the inside and I didn't, I didn't want to say anything because I'm lucky I'm even back. I'll just deal with it, suck it up, deal with it. And then we got in a, we got in one fight. And so I'm moving up the road, clearing, doing my job. And all of a sudden everyone knows that distinct round of seven, six, two, crack, 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 dust um, kicking up all over the road. So as a, as a soldier, I, I know, all right, someone's shooting at me. I have to find cover and then return fire. So yeah, let's do that. Let's find cover. Ah, here's the ditch cover. Boom. And I'm going to return fire. So throughout, you know, <clears throat> three, four five minutes of this, I'm like, something really, really stinks here. Like, like human shit. And I'm just, I'm, uh, you know, okay, everything's good to go. Air on station, bad guys leave. And I start to look around and I had jumped in a, a, human feces trench where they dump all their um business that they do inside of the compound they come out and they dump it into this trench and here i am open skin grafts sores everywhere and um and i have feces up to my knees and i'm just like all right i have to say something now so we get back after the mission and I, I just, I tell our medic what happened and he's like, yeah, you freaking stink. And I was like, yeah, there's something else. Um, I have open sores on my legs and he's let me look at them. And he's like, these aren't open sores, man. You're missing skin here. I was like, <laughs> true story. Anyways. So they, uh, they got me to calf pretty quick and, um, and we're just watching everything for infection. And they were like, there's no way you're not going to have an infection. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't have an infection. And, uh, but that was, that's, um, that was my last patrol, um, on the team with about, 
uh, probably about two and a half months left of the deployment um, because uh, I jumped in the wrong trench. <laughs> Ryan, I don't know if you remember. Um, I, I I talked to you briefly um, when when you first got medevaced there. To me, that was actually of all the stuff that w- that we did of all the parts of your limb reconstruction, that was the scariest time for me because um, someone, one of the people in that care team wanted to medevac you. And I thought that that would have put you into a situation mentally where you'd have, you'd have gone on for an amputation after that, even, even though I felt that you could heal it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that if you had been medevaced, it would have been done. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was definitely unsure of what they were going to do with me, but um, some somehow they allowed me to stay because I, I, I found work. I was driving forklifts and um, loading aircraft to get um, supplies out to the guys in the field and stuff. And then, uh, but I still, I mean, I took this huge, um, I guess, hit to my confidence because I'm like, yep. man, I, this just happened to me. And it was, it was like, it was like God's perfect timing because towards the end of our deployment, this big battalion mission came up where we were clearing this entire area and we had seals and everything like that. And the command team was actually going to climb Hilltop 2000, which was basically, um, I think it was like 3000 foot in elevation gain and about a click or click and a half. So, um, that's uh that's that's pretty much straight up and down and uh we were going to infill at night move to the top of this they called it a hill it wasn't a hill but and so the command had overwatch of the valley and um and you know everyone can do their thing and we can call on airstrikes and all this great stuff <clears throat> so i knew I, I so the battalion or the command center major so brian reary the colonel um first sergeant and all this other stuff they're all going to be on this mission and i was like all right if i am going to secure my job i have to get on this mission and everyone nope 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 and finally the (laughs) it it just a door opened up for me the first sergeant came up to me he goes hey um i'm going to be clearing for ieds can you show me how to work this mine detector and i was like nope but i'm going to go with you guys because you are not clearing for ieds and so I got myself onto the mission and we were all weighted down probably 80 to 90 pounds um, because we were going to be up on top for four days. And uh, yeah, we, I, I just, every step, I just prayed my Adeo held up, like, please don't give out on me. I can't go through this. And I remember that's, that was one of the first times I remember knowing that, you know, your will like you can will yourself to do almost, almost anything. And we had guys that were in a combat environment, not green braids, they were attachments, but they were falling out. I'm like, I can't go any further. Leave me behind. It's like, well, that's great for movies, but that doesn't work in combat. So, so we were cross loading their gear. And I, I know it's not good to be a spotlight ranger, but I took those opportunities to carry the heaviest stuff and because I needed, I needed my battalion leadership um, to understand that I was an asset still. And yeah, that, that, that mission right there after that, even though every single deployment after that, I would come up on non-deployable. They're like, oh yeah, that's Ryan. He's good. So yeah, that was Hilltop 2000 probably saved my career. 
that's it's, it's interesting because you know for me that's why i was just so dead set against you being medevaced because it is the yeah. whole thing it's it's a mental situation right if your if if your confidence is truly broken then that's that's the real issue right i mean we yeah. the body you can rebuild to a certain extent i mean some things are not reconstructable but that that is more doable and we, and we just don't have a lot of um we don't have as many tools to help build that confidence for someone that's even super highly motivated and capable like you. And that's, that's why I was like, you cannot come home. You cannot come home. And then you yeah. figured out, and then you figured out a way to do it. And I remember, yeah, came, if I would have came home, I would have asked for it to get cut off. Yeah. And I saw you after that deployment, you came back to the center, I think to, to get your idea worked on and you text me like, Hey, I'm coming yep. back. And by the way, I've got this open wound on my foot. And I was like, fuck, you know, I, I was just <laughs> ready for that conversation because I'd had it a lot, you know? And so it's like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm motivating myself of what we're going to do. Are we going down the amputation? And, and, you know, I didn't know the story of, of, of the climb and you were like, no, I'm good, dude. I'm good. I just need to get my idea fixed and I'm ready to go redeploy again. I'm like, are you on crack, man? Okay. Well, let's yeah. do this. And that thing healed yeah. up. Um, I know it's still always an issue, but it healed up. Mm -hmm. Then you're, you're back at it again after that. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, after the 2012 trip, we were in South and Central America until about 2016. And then um, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2016. And then I deployed to Afghanistan 17 deployed to Afghanistan 18. I left in 19. I deployed to Afghanistan in 20 and 21. I'm still here. <laughs> say, yeah. Where are you now? <laughs> yeah. Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think you're an asset. Um, any other points on those deployments that you want to highlight? You know, I know there's, there's some that you got um, awarded for. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the 2016 deployment is when I really, um, I mean, I, I think Hilltop 2000 was the biggest um, confidence boost out of, out of everything that I did. And that was because, um, well, it was, it, was, it was extremely hard. <laughs> but, um, but the 2016 deployment, um, yeah, that, I mean, we were <laughs> – under uh, under fire um dragging bodies around the battlefield um you know uh, it just it, it was it like I, I i i put my leg in some in some serious situations even to the point to where um again um multiple deployments i remember thinking like please hold out leg don't give up on me now <laughs> you know but um but yeah the 16 the 16 trip um, that's, I mean, I, I snapped my IDEO in two, um, halfway through the mission, uh, just from, just from just, just the sheer, um, impact and force and everything that was going on. And, and it's still, I still had, I, I still, it, it was kind of like an A-10 where you can blow a wing off and it can still make its way back to base. Um, it still gave me that <laughs> spring that I needed and, uh, and it, yeah, but 2016, I was, that, that was, that was a crazy one. Um, 
And then the 2018 trip, <clears throat> uh, we were, I was there in the wintertime and we were up in Wardak and um, Wardak's a big mountain area in Afghanistan. And it was, it was negative, it was negative three degrees outside because I remember it was negative 14 the day before that. And they're like, ah, it's too cold to uh, land the Chinooks, but negative three. Yeah, we're good to go. I was like, really? So, but um, we, we got dropped off. So our infill where our regular, where the um, HLZ was at that we planned um, it was, it was roughly 2k from the objective. <clears throat> the objective was up a hill and it was this village up there. Well, we got dropped, we got dropped 3k away from the objective, which was 2k away from village. And this is January. And so when we got dropped off, I, you know, I leave the ramp of the Chinook and I'm in waist deep snow. And so yeah, and now we're also we're moving uphill, and so ice, snow, and everything like that. I knew for sure. I was like, "This race is gonna make it through that. There's no way my leg's gonna make it through this." And again, it just it just did. Now, carbon fiber in the cold, it's very very cold, but <laughs> but um, yeah, it just I mean, it's I definitely from 2010 when I was laying there along the Helmand River wondering you know number one am i going to die but um wondering what you know what's going to happen with me now you know what is um what uh, what's going to become a ryan hendricks and um to you know the 12 18 19 trips uh 20 21 whatever um back and it's like when i came in there <clears throat> um my goal was I didn't want the Taliban to beat me. Um, I didn't want them to win. And a lot of soldiers come in with that same mindset. And the fact of the matter is, you know, you guys take these, these, these broken, you know, um, individuals and you rebuild them. And so, and like, I'm a perfect example of that. Um, I went from, probably not going to walk unassisted again, you know, i.e. maybe a cane or a whatever. And, you know, I get, I, I get a silver star in 2016. So um, the, what you guys do for, you know, giving people their lives back is, is absolutely amazing. I talk about it in the book. I, I really do. Um, yeah. Well, the fact that, you know, you're basically, they're saying, yeah. Well, to, uh, I got a silver star now, um, based off of your heroics is, is freaking just badass. You know, again, this whole Alex Smith thing, um, when they're saying, or he's asking, can I play football again? I gave him your book and I gave him, you know, one of our, Joe knows this guy really well, <laughs> a, a tier one, really high end special forces guy that kind of started our program. I had him talk to him and it's like, dude, why don't you talk about what these guys did? And, and, and um, I think just dropping back and throwing a ball, you can do it. You know, I always said he's faster than Tom Brady still. Um, so he, he could do it. And I know Joe's dealing with a yeah. real high profile case as well. And I'm sure he's sharing these same kind of stories. Yeah. I mean, there's, there, there's a, I, I think, I, I think what will always stick with me for the rest of my life Um it's not just the, you know, the surgery and the miracle by, you know, um, 
of what you guys do for service members, but <clears throat> the mental aspect of it is what I don't think a lot of people understand. And so you're, you're, um, especially 2010 during the height of the war, um, these broken, um, bodies are coming into you guys and, and it's nonstop and you have to, and each one of those guys is a human being with their own hopes, aspirations, dreams, future, whatnot, that is all in the balance. And every time we're sitting on that table or on the rehab bench and we're looking at you, we're like, are you going to let our, am I going to get my hopes and dreams crushed or am I going to, am I going to fulfill my hopes and dreams? And all that's on your gut, you know, it's, it's crazy whether you realize it or not, but coming from a wounded guy, that's how we look at you guys. It's, and it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I possibly can. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, but um, you know, can you help me? And with the sheer number of people coming through, I mean, that's just like every day you guys, you guys get emotionally involved and then you have to wipe the slate clean and here's another guy that you have to rebuild and you got to bring his life back together again. And that's the, that's the part where um, in my mind, that's, that's where that's heroism right there. And so, yeah, I've, I've thought about it a lot and I wrote about it um, definitely, but yeah, there's a, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, you guys, uh, you guys give, you give life back. That's, that's for sure. So. Right. That, that means a lot um, because it, it really is a journey that you walk with people. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I tell people, if you're going to do this high end limb salvage, I mean, you're, if you're not married to the person, you're at least engaged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got together on a personal level so much. So Joe's turning 50 next year and, he wants to have a big birthday party. And he said, I want to bring everyone back that was part of this program. I thought he was talking about all the doctors and everyone. So I started like doing, he's like, hell no, I don't want to see them. I want only the patients at my 50th birthday party next year. So um, yeah, I mean, we, we built this huge relationship nice. um, and, and you guys helped us as much as, as we tried to help you. So I think that's a good note to end it on, man. You made me feel good now. So uh, I, I can end it on, on that good note. And I'm going to have my chest all out all day <laughs> there you go any any parting words over ryan that's awesome yeah i mean the only thing i can tell if someone's watching this and they and, and and maybe maybe things seem a little impossible at that time or or maybe maybe the future looks a little dim of you know leg arm whatever it is it's um um don't i wouldn't focus on the situation that's right in front of you i, I would definitely take off the blinders and try and and try and look at everything as a whole, because um, the one thing that I had to get through my head was during the rehab process, um, how I dealt with that situation and what I did right then and there. Um, I had two choices. Uh, when, I, when I get to be that old man in a rocking chair, um, am I gonna look back and be proud of how I dealt with it and know that I gave it everything I or am I gonna look back and be ashamed of how I dealt with it and know that I could have done more? And so I would just tell people like, um, think about it like that and make sure you never don't give yourself the opportunity to look back and, and, and know that you could, you could have done more because if it can happen, <laughs> yeah, medically it, uh, trust me, it can, it can happen. So. Awesome.
Well, thanks, man. It's awesome seeing you. Be safe out there. Um, yeah, definitely. Joe, good seeing you. And uh, awesome. Once you once you get back back stateside, Ryan, let's all get together. Let's do it. Yes, one hundred percent for sure. So, thanks, fellas. All right, guys. Hey everybody, this is Ben, and on behalf of everyone here at Owens Recovery Science, I want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast and also for participating in that moment of silence to, to pay some respect and you know really you know, reflect a little bit on what this day is all about in you know, celebrating and remembering those that have made the ultimate sacrifice and, and paid with their lives in protecting this country. We are really excited. I know I'm really excited about making this a yearly tradition and, and continuing to tell the stories of individuals that have, have made that sacrifice. And, and hopefully in telling those stories, we really help their memory to live on. And, you know, hopefully we're, we're telling some of the stories that aren't necessarily the ones that have TV shows or movies made about them. Hopefully we're, we're helping to keep some of the stories alive for, for, you know, these individuals that don't have their story told all that often. And um, I know Kyle mentioned in the intro and has put out there on social media that we'd love to hear from everybody. If you have a story that you want to tell, if that's a, a loved one, a family member, a friend, a service member that you knew that you know you you want to share their story. We'd love to potentially give you a platform to do that and give some opportunities to to make that story known. So I mean please reach out on on social media or or send us an email to info at owensrecoveryscience.com. And we'll, uh, we'll gladly hear that story and, and try to give you a, a platform to tell it. Um, for me, days like today are, are really a chance to reflect living in the San Antonio, Texas area and it being Military City USA. I feel like days like Memorial Day get a little bit more attention and recognition for what they are. My wife and I have, have had the opportunity to go to the Fort Sam Houston National Cemetery and see a, a Memorial Day ceremony. And it, it really is a humbling experience to go to one of those large national cemeteries and see all the headstones and have a chance to, to really put some context to what a day like today is all about. I know that those normal ceremonies aren't happening this year because of COVID, but hopefully we can get back to having those ceremonies held in person uh, because it, it really is a special experience. And if you have a chance to do that, and uh, I would highly recommend it. So, you know, we, we hope that everyone has a chance to, to take some time off work and, and get a, a holiday and, and, you know, much needed time of rest that I, I know all of us need. Uh, but I, I hope you take the chance to spend a, a moment in reflection, if it's not just on this podcast for that minute of silence, uh, to really remember what this is for. And it, it's not just beer and barbecue, although that is a great part of it, uh, but really remembering what, what this is about and why we get to have a, a day like today. So I, I know for me personally, I, I hope that we 
get to tell a little bit more of, of these military stories, not just on the Memorial Day edition, but you know, maybe we can bring some more military stories and, and share a little bit of what I know we take some pride in and what, what has driven us to do what we do and, and landed us where we are. So um, we, we hope to hear from you guys, be able to share some of these stories and we will catch you on the next regular installment of the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. All right, have a great day, you guys.